Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hit Like a Girl podcast is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission-driven, which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, they've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com. Hello there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. My name is Joy Rios, and today my guest is Deepanita Das, the CEO of Sorcero, which is an organization that analyzes massive amounts of medical content to find the passages that are relevant to subject matter experts and researchers. Her work helps streamline scientific literature analysis so that these folks can spend their time on higher valued tasks. It's kind of like Google on steroids that's also flipped on its head. It's good stuff in here. So take a listen. Thank you, Joy, for the opportunity to participate in this podcast today. I'm really excited to have an opportunity to talk about my journey, a little bit of my story, and also introduce the work that we're doing at Sorcero. My name is Depanita Das. Yes, there is a silent W, but I also go by D. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Sorcero, and I'm originally from Calcutta. That's very material because that means I have traveled across many places to land up where I am today in Washington, D.C. My background is in the intersection of public policy and technology. It was very clear to me very early on that the work that I wanted to do had to be eventually impactful and good for the world. And in my career, I have worked on a number of different issues from adult education to gender-based violence, to climate change, to criminal justice reform. But it was really in my stint with public health that captured my mind and my heart. What drew me to that space, of course, was the scale of the impact that can be had with great policy, but then even more so the scale of impact that can be had when each stakeholder that is responsible in great healthcare, the pharma 
the the insurer, the healthcare provider, and the patient themselves and the people themselves have a say and are set up with the right tools and environment to make the best decision possible. That's really what keeps me busy every day, what I obsess about, what I wake up in the morning hoping to move the needle on. Well, so when you wake up and you think about where can I make the biggest impact, this is where you've landed. I believe I have. Yes. Yeah. That's wonderful. I mean, I have a lot of interest in a lot of the things that you just mentioned. And I think that you're right that coming at things from a policy level and thinking about how can we actually change the system that impacts everybody is one of the most important things that we can do. So can you talk a little bit about your organization and what its place is in making that type of impact? So Sorcero is a little over three and a half years old. When we founded the company in officially in April 2018, we set out to really make sure that the people who are solving problems are equipped with the right tools. That was the, our mission. So our mission is as a people to support those that make the most critical decisions. So it's one level abstracted from the immediate decision itself in that Sorcero's product provides the infrastructure required and the applications required to drive decision-making that is driven by or powered by understanding of science and scientific information. We found, and I'm sure you will agree, that healthcare at large is, is a scientific industry. It's powered by science. The better you understand it, the better you can use it, the better you can crunch heterogeneous data streams to really inform a decision when it's being made at that composite point. My background is in public policy. Sorcero is not in public policy. What by My work with public policy and public health policy really inspired me to work in this space. But what I found is that public policy isn't enough. Uh-huh. We needed to make sure that where work was being done and where the implementation of was happening, that space was properly resourced with both software and the human expertise. And what we also found is the human experts are there, but the software isn't and the tooling isn't. So Sorcero builds the software required to support expert decision-making in life sciences. Okay, so walk me through a user of Sorcero. What is their engagement with it and how are they using it to like make better decisions? Sure. Uh, so within life sciences, we work with medical affairs, scientific affairs, and the regulatory teams within a life sciences company. These teams are staffed by scientists, they're MD-PhDs, they're PharmDs, they're physicians, and they are communicating almost always with other experts who are also experts in that field. MD-PhDs could be healthcare providers and physicians, and they're trying to communicate about the efficacy of their products, why this drug should be prescribed or not who has responded really well to this drug and who has not, whether the method of administration is really appropriate or not. These are the nature of conversations they're having. At the same time, there is a very large amount of work that's coming out of research that is also examining the diseases and the therapeutic areas within which each of their products fall and constantly informing them whether their drugs and products are on track. 
Is it still the most relevant? Is there a new use for it? Is it working very well when administered with another drug? And, you know, combination therapy is a big thing for us as well to understand. All of this information is coming out of literature, peer-reviewed journal articles. So our users who are MD-PhDs will use our system to track and monitor everything that is important for them and their business, but that is coming out of literature. They will pop in, they will log in, they'll get to see on a weekly or a monthly basis what articles they need to pay attention to, and more important, why. Which are the authors they need to pay attention to? What is their scientific share of voice in the market itself? And what is the impact of this particular piece of research on science and on business? That's what they do. That's one use case. The rest of our users are using us to monitor how their products are doing in market. It's post-market performance where they're looking at, is it on point? Is it off point? Is it doing something that we didn't predict it would do? It's both for themselves as well as for regulators. And in every single case, we are working with the experts and we're trying to make sure that they're faster, that they can do more, and they make even less mistakes than they normally do. Well, then it's not just a repository of information or literature. You're basically asking really smart questions of it and then teeing up those answers to the users. Correct. It's an analytics platform. And it's an analytics platform that works extremely well with literature and with unstructured data in general, particularly that which is medical or scientific. But it is heterogeneous. It can handle a heterogeneous data pool as well. So yes, we are asking it the kind of questions our users ask of data, but very rarely get an answer. In the All right. Consumer. So can we imagine somebody who, well, what kind of search term would be put, it, would be put in? I mean, I'm sure that there could be all kinds, mm. but if somebody is like <laughs> going to be tracking a, a really specific, I don't know, use case, if that like the I'm going to have to make this one up because yeah. our customers' keywords are their information. <laughs> sure, so sure. I'm going to have to make this one up. So uh, stick with me for five seconds. Okay. <laughs> Let's say I am a company that is working on some sort of uh, treatment for a neurological ailment. What I am looking for is not neurology. I am looking for a very specific part of it. Let's say I'm working on neuropsychiatry, which is a marriage of two very different spaces. I need to understand vis-a-vis my pipeline, so, you know, the kind of therapies and drugs I have in treatment, what else is out there in the field of neuropsychiatry? How fast is it moving? Where is it going? What are the common adverse effects? Who's currently leading the market? And where is the green space? What are the aspects of this disease and ailment that are somewhat untreated? Also, What is embedded in the literature that could, A, drive a new product or a different use of my current product that I am not catching on to? So it could just be these three offhand mentions that are coming out of a series of experiments that drive my new product. And those are the questions. So the keywords that they give are not really words. They're very long strings. And that's then applied against the data once it's in the data lake. And that's what's getting surfaced both in workflow, usually, and then occasionally via dashboard as well. 
I'm loving this because that just means whoever wants to geek out on any topic, they can like just <laughs> go in there. Like there's smart people that are there to get smarter. <laughs> well, you know, I, I have to say we're, you know, we just we just did an A, uh, a series A uh, not too long ago. And we're on a, we've been on a bit of a hiring spree. And a lot of the people who are starting to work at the company have advanced degrees and something to do with medicine. And every one of them are like, oh, I wish I had this when I was in school because I could define my universe. And it's really interesting when you think about it that way, that when we go and approach a problem, the first thing we need to do is to define our universe. And it is an extremely extraordinarily difficult thing to do when you are saying this is everything. Mm -hmm. So the first value that our software provides is enabling our users to define and contain their universe so that their questions can actually have an answer at all. And then for that answer to be somewhat actionable in real life. I love it. I'm sitting there thinking like, God, I wish I had that when I was in graduate school. Or how could I put it to you? Yeah. (laughs) What an incredible technology. I am so curious about your journey because you said you started in Calcutta and can, and from what I understand, you were part of like the Y Combinator program, which is something that a lot of people aspire to. Just for the female founder thing, I wasn't a Y Combinator company. Okay. But even so, just being able to say that is kind of a big deal. And it sounds like your just a general career path or even student path has been something that I would be pretty proud of if it was mine. Can you talk anything about, can you tell me a little bit about your journey that you feel like sharing? I'm a person that's really driven by curiosity and really driven to understand how the world works. And everything I have done, whether it's a course I've taken, a job I've had, a project I've been involved in, has been in service of me trying to understand the world better and then to hopefully move the needle forward and in the right direction for one of the things that will make the world better. Uh I studied history in undergrad, which I loved and I love to this day. And I think it may be one of the most powerful subjects for anybody to study because it teaches you to research and ask questions and dispel conflicting information like very few other areas do. And I, I think I want to say that my choice of studying history may be one of the most important reasons why I'm able to do anything else is because of that grounding in research. I dabbled in law. I'm a proud law school dropout, but it did give me a really great grounding in contract law, which when you're a when you're an entrepreneur, you know, it is actually extremely right, valuable. Well, yeah. <laughs> I then got a master's degree where I looked at globalization and development, really looking at the impact of globalization on everything from climate to labor to standards. You know, you, you say fair trade. What does it mean? What does that mean for the supply chain? And what does it mean for the various people in that chain? And I really credit my graduate school as is encouraging of questions. And there was really no question you could not ask or and and it really, really grounded me in seeing the world as a system where it isn't that corporations are here and workers are there and and technology somewhere else. It really introduced me to the networked nature of Mm -hmm. the world we inhabit. And 
that's been a big part of the thesis at Sorcero. So, you know, if you want to solve, if you want to deliver better patient experience, you need to engage all of the stakeholders. Pharma has a role and insurers have a role and providers have a role and doctors have a role and the patients have a role and regulators and all of them. And understanding the interaction of those fields, that's what I got a grad, out of graduate school. And it was, it was transformative for my life to to have gotten that opportunity to see the world as networked. I then dabbled quite a bit in entrepreneurship. I think uh, building something from scratch has always been a part of what I've wanted to do. Until Sorcero, I don't think I really found the thing that, that lit up my day, where I could look at a problem and want to keep trying to solve it for many, many, many years, that time that it takes. But yeah, that's a little bit of my journey. And another really transformative experience I had was when I was an Atlas Core Fellow, which was in late 2012. And I was working with and engaging with civil society leaders from 90 different countries. Wow. Is to understand both the differences, but much more so the similarities between experiences and systems. And it brought me to really appreciate difference as a good thing in that I solved a problem in India in this way does not in any way mean that that solution could be taken and then just applied elsewhere. And there is a real tendency, I think, particularly in software to take the one ring to rule them all model because mm-hmm. it's easier and it's so elegant and the world is so inelegant and so just patchy and crazy. And uh, that appreciation has really kept me grounded. When the elegance doesn't pan out, I want to say that that experience of seeing the differences and valid differences has really kept me grounded. Well, and I think a lot of times people are looking for an N answer. If you ask a question that there's a definitive way of you know answering a particular question. And I think that to your point that like, depending on where you live and where you are, where you're from, your life experience, there's so many things that go into a, a person's perspective or how they're going to use something, whatever choice they're going to make at any given. I mean, it's beautiful. I'm coming from living now in Mexico. And so I have a different perspective too. And I'm not that far from San Diego. I can be in California any day, every day if I want to. But sure. from being able to experience one side of the border just to the other, to see the two different well, many different perspectives that go in and what goes into like our news and how we talk about each side of the border or whatever. It's just like night and day. It's totally humbled me in a lot of ways. It's made me feel like, you know, I might be a subject matter expert in one area of my life, but I feel completely like humble and naive in other areas. I find it very exciting. That means there are things to learn. And right. experiences to be had. And, and I think it's a it's a really wonderful thing when you truly accept and experience the joy of difference. And it can be a pretty cool thing. Stressful, but cool. Yeah. I mean, I always feel like, uh, well, another thing I've come into the realization is comfort and growth. You can't have both at the same mm. time. You know, and there's something around that, like curiosity of wanting to learn something new and expand your knowledge, et cetera. Like that's in growth territory, which automatically means you're going to be uncomfortable to a degree. It's true. 
Very, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like you're walking on little needles and no one really trained you how to do that. And then trying to stay calm right through it as well. It's a, it's definitely an adventure, but it's one worth having. Yeah, for sure. 100%. So I've been asking everybody in this round of interviews, what do you think that your 10-year-old self would think about what you do for a living? Nicely done. That's what it would think. Yeah. So when I was 10, 10 was a big year for me. 10 was the year I read Lord of the Rings, all of it, The Hitchhiker's Guide. Oh, good one. At 10. And Catch-22. Holy all cow. Of them. <laughs> With, you know, and then chose to interpret it in, in my way. And those interpretations have changed as I've grown older. But The Hitchhiker's Guide and Lord of the Rings remain two of my most impactful sort of formative experiences about life, about power, about environment, about the ineffability of things and, and all of that good stuff. But when I was 10, my absolute favorite quote was the speech that prosthetic Vogon Jelts gave to the people of Earth right before the planet was mowed down to make space for a highway, which is which is the most ridiculous of things. And I am told that I used to corner adults and just recite this at them because that's the thing that captured my imagination. But I think when I was 10, I also realized how important it is to understand who has real power in any situation. That's really what it was about. And understanding that in that moment, a whole planet could get wiped out by another species with far superior technology in service of a highway was also a reminder of how small each of us are mm -hmm. and that there is always something bigger and bigger. So if my 10-year-old self looked at me today, they'd say, nicely done. Think you're, you're following those lessons and some of those frameworks have stayed with you and you're, you're really starting to appreciate where power comes from and where and how the needle can actually be moved towards solving a problem. I love that a lot. I'm glad you brought up the Hitchhiker's Guide because I am telling you, I am sitting here in my 42nd year and I'm calling <laughs> That's it- That's a good year. Yeah, I'm calling it my secret to life year because- of Have the, the answer? No, I just, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't. I just know that I like this year. It's been a really good year. And oh, I'm like, oh, let me just embrace 42. Like it's a beautiful number, I guess. <laughs> I'm really excited about 42. I yeah. genuinely am. It's so funny, but we hunt down the number <laughs> everywhere. Definitely. Well, okay, staying in line with age-appropriate advice and thoughts, what advice would you give to your 22 or 23-year-old self? The people whose words and opinions and advice that's impacting you heavily now are almost certainly going to be immaterial by the time you hit 30. So just let it roll off your skin and I, don't even let it penetrate your brain. It's not worth it, not for a moment. 
I used to ask myself, you know, when I find myself getting upset over something, like, is this going to, um, is this, whatever it is I'm upset about, is it going to matter 24 hours from now? Like, okay, maybe it will. And it's worth a, an amount to be, you know, agitated over, but will it matter a year from now is whatever it is, is this traffic, right? If somebody getting upset, <laughs> in tra- am I really going to care about this a year from now? And if not, let me just let it go. And then kind of moving on from there. And like, kind of um, creating a scale at which I should give it my attention or concern was something I did find helpful in my, when I was younger. I don't, I don't do that as much now, but I think you're right. I wish I had, in fact, had a little bit more of that when I was younger, you know, sort of the ability to really question the true importance of a thing or a person or a situation and to identify whether it was truly going to be permanent and continuous or it was just a thing in the moment. And I I think I definitely tended to, to the former. Maybe when you're younger, you're more certain or you think you are or you think that things are not going to change. And then when you get older, you're like, who knows what I'm doing this weekend? I know it's 48 hours, but... Right. <laughs> <laughs> things can change really quickly. Well, I'll ask, I'll finish up with what are you looking forward to? What do you see for yourself in the next year, two years? Like, how do you see um, Cercero growing and changing? It sounds like you're in a position of growth right now. So I would say I like to divide things up into the various areas of my life. And I'll start with Sorcero. I'm excited to see the company and us as a team and our customers all sort of really mature into Focusing on the business benefits of what we do, how it changes the needle and really under, how it moves the needle and really sort of understanding very deeply why we exist and why we must keep growing. So I mean, I'm excited about that becoming more clear and more easy to communicate. And that's what I hope and I am excited about Sorcero. For me personally, as an executive I believe in continuous learning. So I hope that I'm a better CEO and a better co-founder and a better colleague next year than I am this year and, and so on and so forth till, till at some point, I hope I am the master of my craft. And then for me personally, I want a more balanced relationship with my family and friends where we where we accept this new normal that we have and find ways to connect and and to share and support through the year that is in front of us, which is really hard to predict. I mean, we are still in a pandemic. Yep. It's hard to, uh, it's easy to forget that at times. And it's just like making decisions around travel, around who you should spend time with, who's who's in your bubble, et cetera. It's tricky still. Rather. And we have, we're such a privileged lot to be vaccinated and, and to have opportunities to go eat a meal in person or hug someone. And don't want to ever forget that a very large majority of the world is nowhere near that and won't be till maybe well into next year. No. So actually, is that something you can speak on? Because I don't know that it's on a lot of our radar because we're just so consumed with what's around us, right? And you're like, if you live in the States, you're just thinking about what's going on in the States. But I imagine you have plenty of ties back to India. Yeah. What is it like for them right now? So in India, 25% of the population has two shots only. Okay. And this is from news reports and publicly available information. And we're hoping to, over the next 
you know, year or so, get everybody to two shots. That's one. The bigger figure that I discovered from WHO the other day that was actually really terrifying is only 6% of the global South or what is considered a developing country has access to and have been vaccinated. And we all know that without everyone getting vaccinated, we're still in a pandemic and that the global North alone isn't going to be able to get us as a planet out of this in a, in a somewhat more permanent manner. I think the other thing that has got a lot of nuance to it is the evolution of the virus itself and what it means for vaccination and safety. Does it become an annual shot like we take a flu vaccine? Is it something else? So there's also a lot still to be learned about this disease. And, and as scientists do their work and as they share their learnings, things are going to change and it's going to impact policy and, and travel and movement. But we should keep a lookout and make sure that the global south as a geography are also moving the needle and are able to move the needle in the direction that they need to. Well, I appreciate so much all of your insight and everything that you've shared. I want to know if our listeners want to work with you, follow you, or get in touch, how would you direct them? So this is wonderful. If you want to work with us and we have a number of roles open and we are looking for smart, curious hardworking people who are dedicated to problems and who love problems because they want to solve it. You can go to the careers page at Sorcero. You can also find jobs via our LinkedIn page. If you wish to follow us, I suggest you use Twitter as well as LinkedIn. That's where we update what we're doing in the company. And you can, of course, find me as well. And I make sure to share what we're doing. And if you want to talk more with me or connect in any way, info at sorcero.com with a little reference to this podcast would be great. And I welcome an opportunity to speak with some of you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joy. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird, Inc. CMS's Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, is super complex. And if clinicians ignore the program or perform poorly in it, it can result in a hit to their revenue and reputation. Chirpy Bird is proud to say that more than 95% of its clients are exceptional performers in MIPS, meaning they've maximized the score that directly translates into their Medicare reimbursement rate. Chirpy Bird offers their audit-proof services to practices of all sizes through an affordable monthly subscription that includes unlimited access to a regulatory expert who guides them in knowing what data to track, how to create workflows that make capturing that data easier, and ensures that they submit it all to CMS on time and performing at its best. Contact Chirpy Bird today or learn more at chirpybirdinc.com. That's chirpybirdinc.com.